0: Welcome to Where I Come From, a new podcast dedicated to Nebraska sports figures and the experiences that shaped them. I'm your host, Dirk Chatwin, and this week's guest is Jordan Burrows, two-time national champion wrestler at Nebraska, two-time Olympian, and 2012 gold medalist. We talked about his childhood in New Jersey, his rapid ascent to world dominance, and his stinging defeat at the 2016 games in Rio.
1: WWF's done in these big arenas and I had to go to our high school cafeteria with like mats laid out. I'm like, wait, where are the tight ropes? Like where are the people getting slammed through tables? And it felt like a like a public execution, right? Right, like. Being burned at the stake in front of the for the world to see. If I truly was who I said I was, then I wouldn't quit.
0: This is where I come from. What are you doing now? I mean, it's uh, I'm still training. I I, I can t- I, I walked in on a conversation you were having with a coach, yeah, and you yeah. were talking about how you're trying to evolve. Uh, yeah. How you're trying to change after all these years to you know to keep up with the guys who are trying to keep up with you yeah indeed. what's uh what's the challenge like of evolution when you're 28 years old
1: you know what's funny is i was just watching a trailer of a new king arthur movie that's coming out here in the next few months and one of the quotes from the trailer was i don't know if i'm butchering this or not but it was like the stronger you become so do the powers that oppose you right and so like the better i get the better equipped opponents, coaches are, my opponents become because they're watching video, right? They're studying, they're seeing the things that I'm doing, my tendencies, how to create better positions and opportunities for themselves. And so really now is a transitional phase in my career, right, I'm 28 years old, and I've been on the international freestyle scene for seven years. Um, And I thought that I'd feel a lot older at this point when I was younger, right? I'm like, well, man, 2016, I'll have wrestled for a long time. Like I finish up with a gold medal and get out of the game, but I'm still hungry. I still feel like I want to compete. feel like I want to wrestle. I went to Iran to compete in February at the World Cup and I got the US nationals at the end of this month. And so I'm excited to be back. It's really gonna be an interesting year for me. It's one of the first years where I felt like I wasn't the guy, right? Like I wasn't, oh, I'm not the favorite at this point, right? I'm in not a weakened state, from my perspective internally but maybe from the world's perspective so i've got a a lot of proving to do
0: do you are you able to self-identify and self-analyze are you at your peak have you reached your peak are you still i mean at what point were you the absolute best wrestler that you have been do you know what i mean see i
1: feel like i was i am now like i felt like heading into rio was better than i had ever been i think that that's what was so devastating for me was like that performance wasn't indicative of who I was at the time and what I was capable of. Like I went into that tournament like feeling untouchable because it had been a long time since I had been beaten and I felt like my skills were working at a higher level than they had ever been. And so like that was the difficulty that laid within that was, man, I'm better than I've ever been. I feel good about what I'm doing. Physically, I'm content. Mentally and spiritually, I'm in a solid place. Like, this is going to be a great tournament for me.
0: You hadn't lost in two years? Is that right? Yeah, so I was... Uh, 2014, right? 2014
1: was the last time I lost. So I went three years without losing, lost twice in 2014, then went another two years um, up until Rio. And so, yeah.
0: I, I want to get to that, but let's let's go all the way back. Sure. Uh, you're a New Jersey native.
1: I am. Jersey boy. What a... Not from the shore, though. <laughs> Not from the like shore. Not like Jersey Shore. <laughs> I'm a couple of miles inland
0: okay uh where we're at exactly i mean it's, it's called uh sicklerville.
1: sicklerville sicklerville is my hometown so i grew up right off the atlantic city expressway okay. and so there is a long road that leads from philadelphia all the way to atlantic city on the coast and i am exit 38 on the atlantic city expressway so i'm about 45 miles from atlantic city and 20 miles from philadelphia so kind of wedged in between those those so two you, you think landmarks do you
0: think of yourself as a philly guy
1: uh, yeah, I mean, like, that's a reference point. Okay. I wouldn't consider myself a Philly guy, because it was, like, a suburb. I grew up in a suburban area, like, in just a neighborhood, but, yeah, I consider myself a Philly guy. I grew up as a fan of, of the Philly teams and, and professional sports eras. Yeah. What
0: was your, uh, what was your family like? Were you guys middle class?
1: Yeah, I'd say middle class. Everyone identifies with Everyone middle, class, right? middle class, right? Like, middle class is, like, I suppose, not struggling, but definitely not wealthy yeah and so yeah i suppose we were middle class i grew up in like a non-traditional household so my mom had a little girl my dad had two a little girl and a little boy they were married and had me so i was the youngest of four and i was the only out of the four to be raised in the same household with both parents okay um and so interesting dynamic for me but i was the luckiest of the four Having that nuclear family being so closely knit. So, did a, you become close to your siblings then, or not? I did. I did. So, my oldest sister and my older brother—they both grew up in separate households with their parents. Okay. Um, and then my my other sister was in the, raised in the household with me. So, out of the four, there were only two of us in the same household, and so it was different. It was definitely different um, when it comes to like the type of family perspective. Like, it's it's not what you see um, on TV, right? Like, it's not the Everyone's in the same house. We all go to the same high schools, play on the same sports teams. It was a little bit different than that. Well, um,
0: what was childhood like in Sicklerville? I mean, what was?
1: It was interesting. It was interesting. It was like a suburb of, of the inner city, okay. and so it was predominantly African American neighborhood. We did have a, a decent amount of uh, Caucasians in our school as well, but it was it was it was diverse. It was diverse, and so it like made me gritty because like I had to hustle to like survive in that era like and it's weird because wrestling is like a predominantly white sport but we had like a lot of black people on our wrestling team right and so it was wild um to think about now because I remember like growing up everyone played basketball and, f- and football like that was just the things if you were black you were a good athlete you played basketball or football and so, so how you did you get into few, wrestling I just came home with a flyer one day like they passed out a flyer at our local elementary school like hey do you want to join the wrestling team I took it home to my mom and like, I was a big fan of, of the WWF at the time. <laughs> is, it's funny because WrestleMania was this weekend, but I, uh, like, Macho Man, Randy Savage, and the Ultimate Warrior, Undertaker, Triple H, all those guys. Well, he was, I think he was, like, Hunter Hearst Helmsley at the time, but...
0: When did you realize it was a different kind of wrestling? When I got to
1: the the gym, because <laughs> it was in the cafeteria, right? Like, the WWF's done in these big arenas, and I had to go to our high school cafeteria with, like, Matt out. I'm like, wait we're the tight ropes like we're the people getting slammed through tables and cages and all that crazy stuff so it was a little different like when I got there I didn't realize what the sport was because no one in my family ever wrestled and like so we just kind of went and it was like oh cool you got to get wrestling shoes you got to put like these things on your ears to protect you called a headgear and a tiny little singlet and that was it my first weight class was 45 pounds
0: 45 45. how old were you?
1: I was 5 years old so I've been wrestling for 23 years crazy 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 when did you get your first taste
0: that hey I might be good at this?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. My first tournament I got a trophy. Okay. I didn't win but I got a participation trophy. So I'll never forget, like I went to the Delcy eighth regional or eighth annual regional tournament. So my dad took me. He took he was my first coach. My dad took me to the tournament, had no idea what wrestling was. I won my first match like in a close match and I got pinned my second match. And so I was out of the tournament, a single elimination. Um but they gave out participation trophies. So I see this participation trophy. I'm like, sick. Like, I won something. Then my first tournament ever, and I got a trophy. And so they had the brackets posted in the corridor right outside of the gymnasium. So I went and I looked at the brackets, and I'm with my dad, and I'm like, Dad, like, I got a trophy. What t- place did I take? And he told me that I had placed eighth, but it was really just the eighth annual tournament. I hadn't actually taken eighth. I don't even think there were eight guys in the tournament. But like, from that day, like, getting that trophy, was like my biggest motivator. Before every tournament, my dad would take me into the trophy room wherever the tournament was and he'd show me like, hey, listen, here's the trophy room. You see that tall one over there? That's the first place trophy. First place trophy was always the biggest trophy and I wanted to get that one to put in my raw. He built he built me a trophy rack like in my room. Really? As a kid, yeah, he, he built me a trophy case and I had all my trophies stacked up, all my medals, my plaques, my awards. And, they used to hang in my room when I was a kid, so that was that was big for me. I so, so who touched. was your who was your first real coach? Because he didn't know what he was doing, right? No. So my first real coach was probably a guy named Robin Jones, um, who's a buddy of mine. His dad, dad, uh, Vince Jones, he actually wrestled here. He was an All-American yeah. in 2009 at 184. We started wrestling the same year, and so his dad was my first, like, real legitimate coach. Um, and then we ended up wrestling at the same college, you know, 10, 15 years later. It's pretty wild. Now, uh, so you were motivated by by the bling. Yeah, yeah, but I by the, <laughs> the big gold guy in his wrestling stance on the top of the trophy.
0: But as the story goes, uh, you didn't always want those trophies if it wasn't a first-place
1: trophy. No, uh-uh. I didn't want them. Uh, yeah, interesting, right? It's like, I always took losses hard as a kid. And it's funny because, like, after Rio, it's hard to say I don't take losses hard, but... Now you get like you gain a different perspective, right? Cause it's more about the process. Like, okay, this guy beat me. Well, why did he beat me? You know, did he get to my legs? Do I need to work on my leg defense? Could I not get to his legs? I need to work on my offense or my finishes. But like when I was a kid, I just thought if I got beat, like I stunk. I'm like I suck. I quit wrestling, and so I would cry every time I got beat and go hide under the bleachers. And my mom would like she'd come and console me. She'd rub my back. Like it's okay, honey. Like just come out. Like. My dad would come find me. He yell at me. He was like a tough guy. He'd He'd like, "Hey, get out of here right now!" And he'd be like, "If you, if you were to wrestle harder, you wouldn't be crying. You want to win, you wrestle harder." It was all and about so effort. That was that was, all, that was it. It was effort. He was like, "If you wanna, if you don't want to cry, win." That was his thing. <laughs> which is
0: the, which is the way that people coach when they don't understand all the technical stuff. Yeah, yeah. Stuff. He,
1: that was it, right? He was like, "Wrestle hard. Uh, be aggressive." And, like, don't be afraid. Like, that was just, like, his mottos, right? Like, he knew no technical aspects, like, or the intricacies of the sport. Like, he couldn't tell you to do a move. He would just, like, tell you to wrestle hard. That was it. What did he do? He's a construction worker. He still works in construction. Was
0: he your biggest influence growing up? Yeah, yeah, because he
1: was a sports fan, right? And so, like, I think he kind of lived vicariously through me because he always loved sports, but he never really played organized sports as a youth just because he had some other interests um but like he grew up loving sports and so like for him it was fun to see me compete within sport and he just kind of wanted to see how far I could go with it and Mm -hmm. so it was fun because like I think every young man has like this this they 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 need to feel validated or or vindication from their dad right like they always want to feel like they've They've shown their dad that they're they're capable of doing something at a high level. So yeah, I always wanted to wrestle hard for my dad because I thought he'd be impressed. Like if I brought home trophies and had big victories.
0: What was the What was the most important or most influential moment of your childhood?
1: That's a good question. I uh, ooh, I'd say one time my dad. So I was at a family reunion in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, my dad was born in Florida, raised in Philadelphia, but anyway, he was with some of his old buddies from high school and some of his old family members, some cousins he hadn't seen in years. And so they they had never met me, right? But they had knew that he had kids. They just had never met me. Um, and so I remember, like, I was over playing with the other kids and my dad was with his cousins that were all grown men. They had kids, of course, by then as well. And so he was talking to those guys and those guys were like, oh, like, those are your kids over there. And he was like, yeah. And he, like, he didn't know, like, I had Just like I kind of walked over, but like they were like on the opposite side of a car, so they didn't see that I was there. And he was like, "Oh, like Leroy, like that's my dad's name." He's like, "Are those your boys over there?" And he's like, "Yeah, like those are my boys." And he's like, "Yeah, that's my oldest one, Leroy." And then he was like, "That's my, that's my my youngest one, my baby boy Jordan." He was like, "He's pretty special. Like I think, I think he's a special kid." You
0: remember
1: uh, that? And he didn't know I was there. He didn't know I was there. And so. Like, he said that. He was like, yeah, he's pretty special. Like, he's a special kid. He was like, I think he's going to be the one. Like, he he said that specifically. Like, I think he's he's going to be special. How do you remember right? that? And so, like, but then, like, at, so he then he saw me, right? So, after he said that, he saw me. He was like, get out of here. He was like, get out of here. I don't want you. I don't want to fill your head up with stuff like this. And so, but, but, like, from that moment, like, I was like, man, like, he thinks I'm special. But, like, I didn't see it. Like, that wasn't my reality because I had never really done anything special. I was just a runt. Like, I was the smallest in my family. Like, I never was really the best at anything. I wasn't even the best athlete in my family, let alone the best.
0: He, so, but he didn't express that to you in other no, situations.
1: Um, uh, but but he would because he'd always push me, right? Like, I think he knew, like, deep down that, like, there was just something about me. But I think it was it wasn't from my physical prowess. It was just, like, from my mentality, right? Like, I was always, like, dialed in. Like, I was always a good kid. Like, I always stayed out of trouble. I was extremely intelligent um, and so like I think he knew like I was just different from from what the neighborhood that we lived in and the people that we surrounded ourselves with. I think he just kind of saw like something different within me. I'm not sure exactly what it was at the time um, but it was huge for me in my development because like I always thought. That I was capable of more. It was a like I boost. was Yeah, absolutely. I, was, I always thought that I had more within me, and that I was capable of doing really cool stuff.
0: When did you start to see it yourself? When did you, when did you validate that his opinion?
1: Probably my junior year of high school. Cause I remember when we were in high school, and my dad. I mean, I, he's an amazing dad. He's done an amazing job raising me. But like, he would, he was like, he didn't mess around like when it came to that stuff. And like, he wasn't like a crazy dad. But, like, he'd let you know if he wasn't happy with your performance, right? If, like, he'd tell you, like, you wrestled scared. You could have beat that guy. Like, that's not who you are, right? And I remember he was one year, my freshman year of high school, I was only, I was, like, 16 and 10. Didn't have a good year. Didn't even make it to the state tournament. And he was like, I'm not going to be satisfied until you beat one of these good guys. He said that to me. He's like, I'm not satisfied until you beat one of these good guys. And I just, what the heck, man? Like, I, I can't, right? Like, he used to be like, yo, listen, you can beat these guys, I know it, I know you're capable, like, I know you can beat these guys, and sometimes i get so upset, because I'd be like, I can't, like, I can't beat them, they're just too good, they're too strong, too, they're just better wrestlers, like, I can't beat these guys, and he'd be like, listen, you can beat them, like, don't say that, you can beat them, and I'd just be like, what the heck, I don't know what he sees, but I don't see it, and I get so frustrated to the point where I just, like, almost, like, wanted to quit, because so I'm like, I don't think I can do it. Like, I don't think, what he sees, I don't see in myself, and it's just, like, it's too much pressure that I can't do it. Jordan, there's probably dozens of guys walking around Jersey, uh,
0: Sicklerville, saying, that guy that won the gold medal, I beat that oh, guy so in high
1: school. There are more, more than dozens. They're, <laughs> they're of, were, I took a lot of L's.
0: You were a late bloomer. I was. Why? Why
1: were you a late bloomer? I was just, I was a runt. I was small. I was a 103-pounder as a freshman in high school. I was even a 135-pounder as a senior. Okay. And then I finished off here at 65. And so, you know, usually 35-pounders are recruited as 41-pounders, 33-pounders, not 65-pounders. And so, like, I really just started to develop as a man once I got to college, but also was, like, being surrounded by excellence. Like, a coach that was going to pour into me daily. Like, having training partners that are all the best guys their hometowns and their areas and in their states and so like wrestling we had no tradition in my high school like we didn't have tradition we didn't have a rich history so like all of us were just kind of getting what we could out of the sport like all we knew was be in good shape wrestle hard and you could and you could possibly win but once i got here it was like listen everyone's in good shape everyone's strong like there's got to be something that separates you right so it's either you know strengthening yourself technically or having a different mindset, different approach, and so, like that's what I started to develop once I got here, and I was like, "Listen, I got a shot to be great." And then my body started to, like, really come into. I like I just started to develop. Like my body started to to follow suit in terms of my mindset and then my approach to the sport. You were lucky made. to be recruited, though. Like you were, yeah. I was. Yeah, like, I you almost didn't get recruited by anybody. No, and so my fresh, or er, not my freshman year. When you are, so at the time when I was in high school getting recruited, you couldn't receive calls from college coaches until after July 1st of your junior year, right? And so I, I never forget this story. So I had taken second to state after I had taken second to state my junior year. So after my junior year, July 1st is approaching. I'm like, man, I know coaches are going to want to call me. They're going to want me to be a part of their program. And so Vince Jones was my next door neighbor. He was a year older. He was a two time state champ, Fargo placer. He was coming here to Nebraska already. I, the first time I ever met Mark Manning was when he came to Vince's house to recruit Vince. Really? Yeah. So it was super crazy, you're right? You're just like hanging out. And out I with, was just his buddy. You're just hanging out just like on the, the doorstep? Hey, <laughs> head coach in Nebraska's coming this afternoon. Like, you want to come hang out? And I'm like, absolutely. And so I was just there with him playing video games when Mark came in. And he was like, hey, like, you should, this is my buddy Jordan. Like, he's pretty good too. You should probably come back and recruit him. And Mark was kind of like, just laughing it off at the time because I, I hadn't even done anything yet. Um But anyway, so July 1st rolls around. I'm expecting a call, so I remember that day I had the cordless phone charged up. It was 100%. And I was hanging out at Vince's house throughout the day, and I'm like, I had this thing literally glued to my hand. I'm like, yo, I know someone's going to call me today. Someone's going to want to be a part of it. And so like, a couple hours passed by, still no calls. I'm like, man, what the heck? Like, it's charged. Like, I know someone's going to call a little bit more. Goes by, it's about noon at this time. And I'm like, man, well, maybe I need to go home. Like, I'm probably too far from the base. I'm yeah. not receiving any calls. I got to get a little closer to home. Got home before five more hours go by. And I'm like, man, it's five o'clock. Like, no one's going to call. And so, you're heartbroken. At that day, I got zero calls. I got zero calls from any college coaches just even showing any type of interest. And so I was like, I'm not going to college. Like, I'm not going to wrestle in college. Like,
0: Because your family hadn't gone to
1: college. No. Uh-uh. No one. No one ever gotten a scholarship. Like, we didn't... Like, Vince was the first person from our neighborhood to, like, get a scholarship to a Division one program. And then not only get that, but actually pass the clearinghouse. We had amazing athletes in our school. Guys that were, you know, a, freaking the best in the country. But a lot of the times, like, they didn't have... The GPAs or the SAT scores that really were necessary to pass the clearinghouse, right? And so, like, we see or we saw a lot of athletes that were great that weren't able to make it to the highest level. And so, Vince was really the first person. Like, we really didn't know what it was like to go to college and go on visits and stuff. Like, I went on zero official visits and I got zero calls from any coaches. And somehow, I ended up, so that's why, like, I take it personal when I wrestle Americans and when I have other collegiate coaches in their corners like i take it personal because like i never got recruited by anybody and like maybe if i would have went there i wouldn't have been as successful i think this was just the perfect place for me
0: so how'd you end up here it was like
1: april your senior year Yeah, april my senior year so i won a state championship my senior year and then i won a tournament called senior nationals which was the best seniors from throughout the country um and then Manning saw that, right? He was like, Well man, maybe this guy is pretty good. Like, let's bring him out and so they brought me out, had a chat with those guys and they came and visited me at my house back in Jersey and he was like, Listen, we wanna offer you a scholarship to come to Nebraska and it was it was no brainer for me. Like it was a no brainer for me. Vince was here, they're offering me a scholarship. They were a division one program. Like that's that's like when you're a kid, all you see is D one. Like when you're not highly recruited now, you know, you got guys that are Recruits are like, it's the craziest thing, right? Like, if you want a job, you have to interview for that job. You've got to pursue employers. Like, now kids are getting all types of special treatment that, like, their coaches are coming to their house, they're going to their wrestling tournaments, they're sending them packages, like, all this type of crazy stuff, like, to get you to come to our school. Like, when I was growing up, it was like, if a D1 coach asked you to come, you came. That is it. Like, I didn't have a ton of choices. Nebraska was the only place to offer me anything, so I was like, absolutely, I'll be there.
0: You were the opposite of entitled.
1: No, I had nothing. I was like, listen, if you promise me that I'm going to get food, a place to stay, and be able to go to school, I'm there. I'll be there. Uh,
0: freshman and sophomore year were a little rocky. Yeah, yeah. Junior year, you you win a national championship. I did. Uh, what changed in those two years uh, to, to
1: sort of push you to the next level? I'd say... Just really seeing what I could do with myself. Really? Like, I really I, I really was competitive from the perspective that I was going to grind every single day to see how good I could become. And then it was just a culture. Like, at the time, we just had great teams. Craig Brester, Steve Dwyer, Brandon Brown, Vince Jones. All these guys, They like we, they were just amazing guys to be around, right? And I knew that the best way that I could help that team was to do my best every day. And those guys were going to win. Right, and so if you wanted to be a part of that squad and roll with that crew, you had to win too. It's kind of like what Penn State's doing this this year, right? It's like you want to roll with that squad, you got to be a guy, you got to be one of the guys that's gonna be reliable and they can count on you. And so like that was necessary to to fit into that culture. You had to you had to grind, you had to train hard, and you had to kick butt when your number was called.
0: You you faced a very serious uh, bout of adversity your senior year. Yeah, you uh, you'd won a national championship. You're riding a 44 game or 44 match winning streak. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's you're in a duel over at Coliseum, right? And uh-huh. uh, Central Michigan. and yeah. you, you tweak your Steve knee. Steve Brown, Central Steve Michigan. Brown. Never
1: forget it. December 19, 2009.
0: December nineteenth. And you get beat. Uh, you lose your you lose your winning streak. But worse than that, you uh, you blew up your knee pretty bad. Yeah, and, yeah. And missed nine months. Yeah. Uh, what did that do to you?
1: It changed me. Really? I think it really changed me, right? And I, like, it was scary going into because people were like, "Yeah, I've had a knee injury too. You'll never be as the same. You'll never be as good. Never be as quick or as agile," right? And so I'm thinking, "Crap, it's over. Like, it's over. I don't know what I'm gonna do. Like, I don't know what I'm gonna do after college." And you know, being in that position, like, there's a disconnect that you experience with the team because I went from being there every day being an NCAA champion being looked upon as a leader to I couldn't train I couldn't practice
0: you're having a hard time getting across campus with your your crutches
1: I was crutching literally in the winter time I had surgery January 4th and so like I was crutching in the snow like across campus I went from being a national champ one of the best athletes in the country to being freaking limp you know to being uh, it was a tough period of time and so like it was really a, a test of my faith, and and uh, I just remember, like, just being disconnected from the team. Like, I would lift, and i train, and i rehab, but, like, I didn't get to hang out with the guys. I never hung out with the guys, because they were traveling, they were doing their thing, they were invested in their seasons and making themselves better. And then the NCAA Championships were in Omaha that year, and so I felt even worse. I'm like, crap, like, they're here, like, all the Nebraska fans get to come and see us, and so... It was a difficult period of time, um, but I think it truly made me better, right? Like, it made, it made me hungry again. I got the chance to, to move up a weight class. I went from 57 to 65 to prepare for, you know, 74 kilos in freestyle. Um, Brian Snyder came that year, um, and so I got a chance to work with him. He was my same weight, and so we worked together a ton. Uh, the NCAA championships were in Philadelphia, my, in 2011 so I got a chance to wrestle in front of my family and actually, what met my wife through that tournament wait in what? yeah yeah how'd that happen? and so crazy right? crazy stories it's, fate is a crazy thing right? it was like divine intervention and so my wife's brother wrestled at American University down in DC and so <laughs> my senior year the NCAA championships were in Philly her brother was a qualifier I was a qualifier her dad's a high school wrestling coach and so I happened to have my first match of the tournament in front of the section of the stands where her family was sitting. And her dad was like, hey, Lauren, you got to watch this Burroughs kid. Like, this kid's pretty good. Like, he's from Nebraska. He's a stud. You got to watch him. And so she watched me wrestle, like, the entire weekend. And not only did she think I was a great wrestler, she thought I was good looking. (laughs) Right? And so she sent me a friend request on Facebook a couple days after the NCAA tournament. Like, hey, like, I watched you wrestle this weekend. Like, my brother was there competing, like, you looked awesome. Congrats.
0: Now, come on. You probably get 10 of these a week, right? Yeah,
1: but she, it was she was a beautiful woman. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so where I was, I usually ignore them. Like I'm like, oh, this girl's good looking. Let me stop and see what this one's all about. And so then I got invited to do a wrestling camp a couple months later in Buffalo, teaching wrestling technique at a local high school. And I was like, hey, I remember that girl Lauren lives here. I should probably reach out to her. So I was oh, saying, she hey,
0: lived in Buffalo? She lived huh? in
1: Buffalo at the time. She's from Buffalo. And so I sent her a message like, hey, um, haven't talked in a while, but I'm in town for a few days teaching wrestling clinic at a local high school. Like, I'd love to meet up with you. Here's my phone number. Reach out to me, please, if you get a chance. And she's like, yeah, sure. I'd love to meet up with you. And uh, we went and we had a a brief encounter. Like, we went to dinner together. Um, and the rest is history. That's crazy. I've been crazy. able to get rid of her since. Yeah, and it was Right, I should have finished out my career in 2010. She would have never seen me because I would have never been competing in Philly. Wow! But, you know, having the wait that year after the red shirt, she got a chance to watch me. Liked me now, I'm married with two kids.
0: You you won it in Philly, yeah, um, in 2011, right? I did
1: 2011.
0: Uh, so that was the second one, and then you you make the jump to international. Mm-hmm. What was that like? I mean, because you you got you became a big name internationally pretty quick
1: yeah i was i was like the first superstar in wrestling like uh, what happened it was just a, it was just the era it was like the the world was ripe for the picking like just the era like social media was just starting to explode right like wrestlers were just starting to get endorsements and sponsorships um and the UFC was becoming a greater sport, and it was becoming more fan friendly, and people were recognizing that wrestlers was or wrestling was a great discipline to be in the UFC, and a lot of the the best UFC fighters were wrestlers, right? And so, like, it was just the timing was just amazing. I was young, um, I was witty, I was charismatic, um, and I you like was to a, put on a show, a great wrestler, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, it was the timing was just perfect. The timing just worked out extremely well. Um, and so, yeah, I just exploded onto the stage because I went from winning the NCAA championship to winning a world championship right away to winning the Olympic Games the following year. And I hadn't lost in any of them. Right. It was like bang, 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 bang undefeated seasons. I was like untouchable. Right. And so like there was this this aura and mystique. And then also I was young. I was, you know, excited about the sport and like I was willing to carry the country on my back and so it was just like the timing was just perfect
0: did you yeah because I remember you know I remember seeing you in 2012 in London and this is like a year after your national championship yeah impressed. yeah it's so crazy and it's like wait a second how did this happen like it's so wild like when VI? I think
1: about it now I'm like I can't believe I won the Olympics like a year after college yeah it's so crazy and that now it's not as impressive after what Kyle Snyder is doing but like at the time like that was unheard of people weren't doing that right what what you mentioned
0: something though you you mentioned your charisma and your all that stuff being willing to to take it on essentially yeah yeah did you learn about what did you learn about stardom and fame during that period because you became a big name partly because like you said it's
1: you were you embraced it you embraced it it's different now right like as a young man you want that you want that recognition right you want people you want that power um you know that prowess you want to be recognized and highly heralded but like as you get older like it's it becomes not more of a burden but it it like within that right the greater the gift the greater you know the burden yeah. as well and so like it's it was different then like i was i was young i was single i was carefree i was kind of living my life on the whim and like I wanted that. I wanted everything that that came with being the best wrestler in the world and being one of the best athletes in the world. And so, I was I was embracing it all. I was like, "What you got? Give it to me. I'm I'm taking it. Like I want to do it." So it was a fun period. Like it was 2012. A fun period what would ha- in, in in the in the wake of the 2012 gold medal,
0: uh, you you like went on kind of a PR tour. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was w- wild. What do you remember about about sort of the post Olympic part of it?
1: I remember. That it was, I mean, I was. The wrestling community hadn't really seen what I was doing, right? And so, like, that was that was why I became a superstar so quickly. Because, like, I was un, I was doing this stuff like with dominance, and I was undefeated. Like, no, I no one was. I hadn't lost. I was beating up on guys that were already world champs. I had come and take over a weight class that was. Probably one of the toughest weight classes in the world, um, and I had done it quickly after college. And like I was like arrogant and like I, I spoke highly of myself and like I made I just made it more of like a show, right? Like wrestlers aren't typically give me an example, Jordan. Like when you say I made it more of a show, what do you mean? Like just the way I talk. Like before, like the night before my the Olympic games. Like I tweeted. Like my next tweet is gonna be me holding an Olympic gold medal. Right in twenty twelve, and I won it the next day. Like I said, the next tweet will be of me as an Olympic champion. And I like no, who would do that? That's a why death did you, wh- Why did you? Do, why did you do it? <laughs> um, because I know what's why not right? Like at the time, I was like, why not? If I lose, what's there's no failure in not being an Olympic champ. Ninety nine percent of the human population are not Olympic champs.
0: But how how does at what point in your life did you transition from being the guy who didn't know if he was any good
1: to a guy who's willing to, you know, basically well, say... Well, that's why. I, was a, I wasn't was confident growing up. Like, I didn't have a lot of friends. But where
0: did that switch flip?
1: Because of this. Wrestling created me into someone that I wasn't, that I'm not, really. Like, I I was never an uber-confident person that I'd look a man in the eye and shake his hand and talk to him and be interested in engaging in conversations like I didn't have a lot of friends I wasn't the guy that was going to make people laugh or have take control of a room or talk to thousands of people at an event like that wasn't me but who I became out in that wrestling mat really transcended who I was as a man and it really gave me a lot of confidence and increased bravado because like I knew that I was the baddest man in the room at most of the places that I stepped into. And so that gave me a lot of confidence in what I was doing.
0: Did you win matches because of the aura? Because because of that bravado?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There were a lot of matches I shouldn't have won that I won just because, like it's, it's, and, and still to this day, right? Like I've had guys that I've wrestled that have thanked me, like after I wrestled them. Like, thank you, Mr. Burrows. Like it's a it's an honor to wrestle you. Right, like crazy stuff like that, Um, and like I mean, the respect's there. Like I get a lot of respect from people, which I've earned. Um, But I think that yeah, that's I mean, that's that's just who I am. Like I'm I'm willing to lay it on the line, and that's why, you know, I kind of easily retired after going undefeated for you know three four years in a row. But I wanted more. You know, I wanted more, and I enjoy this. Like I enjoy being the buzz in the arena. I enjoy that.
0: You're a bigger, I mean, you're a bigger name internationally than you are here, yeah. Absolutely. Because of wrestling, where are you the biggest star? Like, what's the street in, in Iran? The, Iran, on.
1: definitely. Iran is insane, like insane. Like, if you've never seen anything like it, like the type of love that they show me there, like they're literally waiting at the airport for me, like thousands of people waiting at the airport, like waiting outside of the arena. Like, it's, it's insane. Never seen anything like it. Which made this travel ban even more, even tougher yeah, to swallow yeah. for you, right? Yeah, it was, it's wild. It's wild. But, you know, it was, it worked out. Everything always works itself out.
0: Yeah. Uh, did you experience, you went in in 2012, and your whole life is kind of building up to that point. Yeah. You know, I, I realize there's other events between Olympic cycles, but Olympians specifically talk often about sort of that, That post-Olympic depression, you know, that I'm I'm building, building, building,
1: and then now what do I do for the next four years? I was depressed after the Olympics. um, In 2012? In 2012. Because it was, right, it's it's funny because the way things work out, like in 2012, I was at the top of my game, right? I was an Olympic champion, the best in the world. 2016, I got beat, didn't come home with a medal, right? And so sometimes having everything you desire is just as bad as not attaining it right sometimes the pursuit is more special than the arrival right trying to have everything is is better than actually having everything and so like within that once i won the gold i realized that man this is this is it like this is all
0: well there's a part of that and I think, you know, Tom Osborne talked about it after his first national championship. I mean, a lot of people have talked about this. But um, I think when you're always pushing for something, you never have to really come to grips with some of your own, yeah. with some of the own void inside you, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And then when you have it, it's like, Wow. I have everything that i want if i'm still not happy or still not satisfied then then it's a me problem yeah
1: absolutely and so like that's when i really started to develop in my my faith and spiritually because like i realized like listen i've got it all like i've got i just won 250 grand i've got this gold medal sitting here on my kitchen counter right like i go downtown and everyone recognizes me right i got my own wrestling shoe coming out um but like I still I just was unhappy right I'm like man I got it all but like this is it you know now the clock starts again for you know for the next Olympic Games it's funny because like when I was in Rio literally the day after the Olympics all of the Olympic stuff was coming down right like Rio Games over taking all the USA flags down the posters the signs, the signs and it's like it's over it's over it's now people move on with their lives and you just you know so like that's when I really started to develop in my faith and I started to get a sense of spirituality and I started to I wanted to settle down with my wife with my girlfriend at the time I wanted to settle down I wanted to start a family I wanted to create something that had more depth and that I could cling to and that wasn't you know, fl- as fleeting as, as just being a champion. But, I, I mean, I still was a competitor. Like, I still always want to win. But, like, what? after that, I just realized that it wasn't... Wrestling, wrestling lost a little bit of its significance to me after 2012, after that experience. Because, like, I realized that no matter how much I did in the sport, like, if I wasn't grounded within my life... In my spiritual, in my spirituality, it, it, it didn't matter. I'd still be unhappy. So, what
0: did you find, or did you find it in that? In that, I in did. I did.
1: I found, you know, I found a relationship with Christ. Like I found my wife. I found my family. I found a, a sense of contentment. I found a place of peace. And trying to create an identity outside of, of sport. And it's still it's a battle. It's a battle to be Jordan Burroughs the man and not, you know, Jordan Burroughs the Olympic champion. Right?
0: Well, I mean, because there's a there's an ego, there's a drive, there's yeah, a yeah. there's a self confidence that's required to be Jordan Burroughs the champion. Yeah, and to have that contentment that you're talking about that requires humility and yeah. unselfishness. It's well, it's
1: a it's a mixture of the two. It's it's a difficult process because like. It's hard to be both simultaneously because they, they, they're two completely different concepts that combat with each other, right? And so it's hard to to be completely humble and meek and be a warrior out there on the mat. Like, you gotta have, like, that cockiness and that swagger, I feel, sometimes to be a champion and to carry yourself like a champion. But it's such a short period of time that you get to be a champion. Like I wanted to, to create something that, who I where it wasn't a persona. Like it wasn't a persona where it was who I was. Like who I was, on the mat was who I was as a man. Who I was in the arena, and who I was in interviews and to people and on all social media was like a legitimate person. Like all what, the way around
0: at you, all times. How do you, how do you do that though? What do you mean?
1: I mean like. I didn't want to have I didn't want to create more than one me I wanted to always be the same regardless of the position that I was in Um, and so I tried to create a person where like I trusted in the process of the sport like it wasn't always about you know becoming someone different it was because like I, I competed because I love the sport I want to continue to do it because I'm really good at it and I'm blessed to be doing this and I love it so I want to continue to improve at it
0: you said some things going into well let me ask you this first was 2014 you said you lost twice
1: was it yeah was it fluky or was it or were you sort of it was wrestling? Okay, it was it was a mixture of both, right? Like it was tough because my first year married, we had a baby on the way, um, and so like
0: I mean, there's got to be moments where you're walking around babies or us. Yeah, it was, it's and, and you're thinking, man, I should be practicing, or, or you're practicing, it's and both. you feel like I
1: should be at babies or us. It's Both, dude. <laughs> like that's the that's the biggest struggle now for me in my life as a man is with the kids I feel like I should be training when I'm training I feel like I should be with the kids right and so it's it's a difficult place to be in because like sometimes you just get you can't swing too si- too far to either side of the pendulum right sometimes you're like man I should probably just retire and dedicate my life to my family like this is important to me but then that would eat you up that would eat me up because I, I'm a competitor like I need that I, need, I, got, I got a fire to like be engaged in, in the battle Right, but then I'm like, Man, I'm spending too much time with the family, like this is why I didn't win it in Rio. Like I need to be dedicated. But like either way, like you're abandoning something that you love and that you that that defines you and that makes you who you are. And so I try to I try to create and strike that balance between the two, but yeah, there are days where it's it's extremely difficult.
0: I imagine you recognize why highly successful people are often miserable and uh and bad parents and and, and neglectful of their families
1: absolutely absolutely dude it's it's tough man it's tough you know you you miss them you even now my family's back in buffalo my wife and kids are back in buffalo visiting my in-laws um because my wife had a wedding to go to one of her high school best friends and i'm like i I got i gotta train like i got a tournament less than a month i gotta be back i need this routine like i need to be in the sauna in the hot tub in the practice room I need to be having my smoothies in the morning and eating the lunch that i make, and like I can't be you know on the road staying in a hotel, staying at your parents house like I, I, I need this routine to give me peace of mind and preparation for an event right and so it's like now she's on her own for the last 10 days like grinding out with the kids and I'm home alone but like that's that's the balance that you you try to create and I think that it's awesome because my wife comes from a wrestling family, and so she understands. But I made it clear to her, like when we were getting married, like this is this is my dream, like this is my dream. But it's so it's so much better. It's so much better because like there was a time where wrestling was all I did, and I was miserable. Really, I was. It's too hard, dude. Like if you do too much of one thing, it's 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 very difficult. It's very difficult to live in that lifestyle. And so, you know, within that. Like I said, like that's why I was miserable after the London because I had done so much. I'd done so much to get to that point, but I was just like, I don't know if this is worth it. Like this, I don't know if this is worth it to me. It's not worth it to just to completely dedicate my life to this and feel like this afterward. Like it's it's not worth it to me. It's not worth it to me,
0: Jordan. I I am a believer that some of the best athletes, <coughs> excuse me, are. Are often the ones that think the la- the least. Absolutely. Okay. So, and and that's true of basketball, football. I mean, you can go across like. What's always fascinated me about you, is that there's clearly a ton going in going yeah. on inside of that brain, and in so many cases in athletics, that becomes interference mm-hmm. for what you're trying to accomplish. Like the people who think the most are the ones who clutch up under pressure. They're the ones who can't get out of their own way whatever it is how do you how do you deal with that because it's
1: good. i mean you are well, there that's why i think i didn't perform well in rio really is i was in that mindset where i was thinking about i i, I thought too much about everything right and it, and it clouded my judgment within those minute moments that would change the trajectory of the match right typically where i'm just wrestling my hardest i'm just gonna wrestle through every position innately because it's just ingrained within my muscle memory like i've been here i got the leg up trip his foot right he's in on my leg stuff the head square up grab behind his hamstring run the corner right but like you start to think about so much right like man who's here like i wonder if there are any other usa athletes here watching me like man i get a ton of money if i win this event man my agent told me that I would be on, you know, ESPN and Jimmy Kimmel.
0: You you were thinking next. about like,
1: that stuff. So like you think about all those things, right? Like you think about those things, but then you think, oh man, I gotta wrestle the number two guy in the world, in my second match. You know, like what a terrible draw. Or, you know, I wonder how what he's thinking. I wonder how he's feeling. Or man, my legs are a little sore today. I don't think I'm gonna be able to, you know, be in my stance as well. Like just like all these things start to go into your head. And like you said, like when you have that cloud of judgment, you can't do, like a clear mind is the best mind for, especially for wrestling. Cause it's like, it's such a, it's so, so much going on so quickly, right? Like, it's not like the NFL, you play 14 seconds at a time and then you get a 45 second break in between to, to reevaluate what you're doing. Like and this goes on for three like, hours. Yeah. Wrestling is it's go ahead. boom, boom, boom. You got five matches in one day, six minutes a piece. And you only get a 30-second break in between each three-minute period. And so, like, when your mind is clear, that's when you wrestle your best.
0: And a six-minute match comes down to how many decisions, do you think?
1: I mean, because it's... Real decisions? Not many. Yeah, it how happens so fast? Not many. Like, it's just, like, you're just scrapping. Like, the only time you think, really, sometimes it's, like, after a sequence. Sometimes after a sequence, you allow for your mind to adapt, like, this dude's fast, right? Or all oh, this too strong. Or he's defending my single leg. I'm going to switch it up and go misdirection. And so, like, but when you're within it, it's too much going on. But, like, for me, like, I was thinking, I was thinking too much, right? There was a time where I got to a single and I'm like, crap, this guy's good upper body. If I come up high with this single, he's going to try to throw me. So maybe I should switch off to my seatbelt and try to run him out of bounds. And I couldn't. Or, you know, man. I'm on the 30-second shot clock. I got to get to this guy's legs. But he's defending well. I'm just going to give up this point and go back and get another one. Like, all these thoughts that I was having within that match against the Russian that typically I don't think about, and I just just wrestle off the cuff, cost me. Cost me. And as, like, as bad as I wrestled, like, it was still only a one-point match. And there was certain points where, you know, I feel like I could have I changed the direction of the match, but I just... Either I was afraid to, or I was just a step behind, or he was just that well-prepared.
0: When did you realize that it was not going to happen?
1: Ooh. When he scored when he scored the third point late in the match, and so it was 2-0 for a while. 2-0 was always good, right? Because a takedown wins it. And so I'm like confident. Man, 2-0, I'm good. If I get a takedown, I'll beat this guy. now I can score on him. But then he got another push-out late. So it was fifty seconds left and it was three oh. So now I'm like, I gotta score twice. I gotta get two scoring sequences. And my I pride myself on my conditioning, you know, but because of my I had a cut in my head, I kept bleeding, and they kept stopping the match. And so like I never really got a chance to to get like fully into this guy to like get him exhausted, to get him where I wanted to get him. Um and so yeah, so when it was three oh, I'm like I got to score, and I got to score soon. And so I got his, I shot, got it on a single, cut the corner, and I tried to switch off to the double too fast, and he kicked out. Like, if you watch the video, I tried to switch off to the w, double too fast, and I came back, he kicked out, and then we, we scrambled for about 25 more seconds. But by the time I got a takedown, it was too late. It was too late to do anything. And so, like, it was, I can't believe I lost to that guy. It was, it's a bummer. It's a bummer to me now because, and not because of everything that came with being Olympic champion, but I've beaten every single guy in that weight class, every guy. I'm, I'm. If we re-wrestled that tournament that next day, I would have won it. And, uh, and I, am the best guy. I still feel like I'm the best guy. Um, but it's not, it's not. I, UConn's better than Mississippi State. You know, it's it's not a, it's not about who's the best team. In essence, it's about who wins.
0: Yeah, you said before the before the Olympics. You, you said, uh, I think you told ESPN that, that I know this will will sound borderline freaking psychotic, but I'd rather die than lose. I would. I don't know if people are willing to put it on the line like that.
1: You lost. I did.
0: Did it feel like death?
1: It felt like yeah. It felt like a like a public execution, right? Right? Like being burned at the stake. <laughs> in front of the, for the world to see. It was just humiliating. It was humiliating. It was embarrassing, right? Because, like, it's not indicative of who I am as an athlete and who I am as a man, my philosophy, my approach to the sport. Like, what I gave that day was so much less of who I actually am that I'm... I was humiliated because of it. You went to the press and y- you went on...
0: It, it, it is it's sort of an epic uh, i don't know if it was a press conference or what it was i wasn't there but but you said you said in part you said i feel like i let my family down my kids i missed a lot of my important milestones in my children's lives to pursue this sport i didn't see my son walk for the first time i've left my wife at home with my two kids for long periods of time to go to training camps to foreign countries um, i've worked hard for 4 years man i've done everything right I've spent my time away from home, I've cut weight, I've ran, gotten up early, I've sacrificed so much to get here, and I just wanted to show people that. I didn't want anything from this but for people to understand wrestling's cool, we work hard. I wanted to be a Simone Biles, a Michael Phelps, an Ashton Eaton. I wanted to be one of those guys, and it's unfortunate, you know. I've had so many expectations, things that I wanted to do here, records that I wanted to set, precedents that I wanted to be a part of. I just feel a lot of disappointment, embarrassment, disgrace. But I let myself down most. I love the sport of wrestling because it's a testament of your will and it's what you're capable of as a man. As nervous and afraid as I was coming into this tournament, I knew that I was was equally as confident and as prepared. So now I face it. I face the fans, the criticism, the backlash, the trolls. I've always made my goals public. The hard thing about being an Olympian is your failures are public too. I've thought about it for so long. This is the one time, the pivotal moment within my career. You know, there are not a lot of defining moments for a young individual in life. This was going to be ultimately a catalyst for for propelling me to where I wanted to be moving forward with my life. My life, it's altered. Be it as it may, you can say, oh, you can come back, you can return in 2020. My life is altered indefinitely. At some point, I'll find out what I did wrong and learn a lesson from this. I'll get stronger because of it. It's going to hurt, though. For a long time, I spent so much time this year promoting my personal brand, and I said I was capable of being the greatest wrestler ever. God said, prove it, and I couldn't.
1: Yeah. I'll never forget that, man. Never forget that day. That moment. I just had to express myself, right? I see a lot of people after devastating losses, they don't want to talk at all. You know, they just want to hide, but that was like almost therapeutic for me. Because I felt there was so much, there was so much, Every that I mean, so much pressure, so much expectation, so much of, I mean, it was, it was a big, it was a big moment. It was a big moment for me. It was a big moment for me. And so I remember after coming off that mat, after that second time, I mean, I haven't lost twice in a day since it's been 10 years, 10, 11 years. Um but yeah, coming off of that map for the second time I was just like that's when it really hit me. That's when it really hit me. And uh I was just like, man Like it was just like confusion, like what happened? Like what the heck happened out there? Like what like what happened today? Like this is my biggest fear. My biggest fear literally in the flesh what happened and I couldn't I was like, it was like watching, I was watching it happen and unfold in front of my face. And it was just like, what is going on? And so it was just, it was tough to deal with. It was a tough experience. It was hard to to live. You know, it was hard for people to watch, but it was hard to live. It was really hard to live. um, Because I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I was capable of winning that event. But I knew that in order to win that event, I would have to be sharp and I'd have to battle. And so it's it's unfair being an Olympian, right? Because you're only judged by your performance every four years. right? Like all the great stuff I've done between London and Rio is essentially forgotten. You know, it's like, well, what do you do now, right? And so this asterisk on my legacy is, you know, as great as I had been through those periods of time, You know what what happens next, and and so I I really think that this is just a comma, like it's not a period, on my legacy, right? The Olympics were just a comma. In terms of where I'm gonna go next, and I think that I have the ability to rewrite, or not rewrite, but add an additional chapter and close this book the way I want to close it.
0: You wrote about six weeks later. You wrote. In your in a blog post, which was just as as gutting as your press conference, yeah. uh, you wrote something that really hit me. Uh, you said, you talked about the flight home from Rio to Houston to Denver to Lincoln, and how different it was than twenty twelve. Yeah, and how you you walked through the the Lincoln Airport, and instead of there being a celebration for you know an Olympic medalist, there was no nobody was there
1: there was no one when I got off the plane I flew straight from London to LA to be on the Jay Leno show and we were the first group of Olympians to get back and so there was a massive amount of reporters and people that were excited to see us Um, we were showing our medals and they were filming us and people were giving us balloons and telling us thank you and uh, you know, for representing our country at such a high level. And so it was I was just so excited about life. I'm like, man, I, I did it. like I'm the man. I just getting thousands of text messages from people. You know I understood that my life had been changed. and then in 2016, it was the loneliest experience ever. Like I just remember getting off the like life just went back to being normal so quickly that it was just like almost deafening. You know, it was...
0: You hailed hailed a cab coming home.
1: I had, I called a cab. I literally walked (laughs) through the airport alone. No one said anything to me. Grabbed my bag off the carousel, got in the cab, went home. It was, it was lonely. It was lonely. What were
0: the next, what were the next few weeks like? Is it, or, or did it go longer than that?
1: It was, it was, it was tough but like I had to I had to make the transition quickly because I was a dad and a husband right like I didn't have time to sulk my family was in Rio I had to instantly change from listen I understand you're devastated but your kids and your wife need you your family needs you they need you to be dad They need you to be Jordan um and so like I had to make that quick transition back quickly but it was it was sad man it was it was devastating I was in a dark place like I was bitter. You know, I was resentful. I was just like, man, this sucks.
0: You didn't know if you wanted to wrestle again.
1: No, I didn't. I didn't because I was, I had, everything had always worked out for me, right? Like, I was always like a living testament. Hard work works. If you just really work hard, everything will happen, right? Right, and so then, in preparation for Rio, I had done everything right. Like, I trained hard. I had changed my lifestyle. I had gained perspective spiritually you know I had been a faithful husband I have been a good father I had been an ambassador of the sport um, I had won two more world championships like um, I had only lost twice in four years between and so like for me I was like well man I don't I don't want to do this anymore I don't want to do this anymore because it's it's too tough to have to do everything i just did and feel the way i feel here
0: to have it be that to be that vulnerable yeah yeah
1: it's it's it takes a lot of courage to put it all on the line right like we're not like the NFL and the NBA where you have guaranteed contracts you get paid no matter what or you get a chance every or year or you get a chance every year right you only get a chance every four years right like tom brady's been in seven super bowls you know how many years that have to wrestle to be in seven olympic games right like it's impossible it's impossible and so like in between in those i don't know how those guys feel after i don't know not making the playoffs or losing in the afc championship but like for us it's only every 4 years and there's a significant build up to it and it's it's really difficult to live down you know what's funny is like everyone now they're like well, hey like we're big fans like we watched you at the olympics this summer and i'm just like i don't even know what to say That anymore, like I watched you at the Olympics this summer, and I'm just like, Thanks, appreciate it. Because it's just like,
0: You knew exactly what to say in 2012 when people said that,
1: yeah, absolutely, absolutely, not a doubt. Admit, it's a sense of pride that comes along, like, Yeah, I know, I know you watched, you know. What'd your dad say? He was still proud, you know, for him, it's like, Listen, we love you, you've brought us on this amazing journey. He's like, I grew up watching the Olympics, and now my son is competing in the Olympic Games. right? Like, he's like, You've are, you, you're an Olympic champ. Like, no one can ever take that away from you. You'll always be an Olympic champ. Once an Olympic gold medalist, always an Olympic gold medalist.
0: Um, when did you realize you wanted to get back on the mat? Um,
1: it took me about, it took me maybe a month and a half, like a month, month and a half off to, to miss it. I didn't want anything to do with it. I didn't want to train. I didn't want to watch it. I was just sick. I felt like a charity case. You know, I felt like everyone was pitying me, right? I went from this superhuman person to this freaking charity case where people like, I'm so sorry, you know, like maybe next time. Like, I felt I didn't like it. I didn't like the way people made me feel. I didn't like the way I perceived people to view me. Like from that point on, I didn't like. I didn't like it. So what? What was
0: the day that hooked you? What? What did? What made you do it? I. What made you come back? Cause you're grinding now.
1: I am. I am. I think it was knowing that I didn't want that. I wanted to go out on my terms. Like I didn't want Rio to be my last tournament ever. Like I didn't want I didn't want that to be the lasting impression of of who of who I was in my career. Right? It's like it's almost it's like it's really sad to see go to a funeral or a wake or a viewing and see someone in their in their death in that state because like that's that's how you view, it. like that's how you remember them, like right? This person at once was so lively and so beautiful, but now this is what, you know, we see of them now. But like I, I just wanted to I felt like I had more left in me and I felt like if I truly was who I said I was, then I wouldn't quit. And that I'd be more relatable and that I have the opportunity to create a more amazing story moving forward, right? Like what if I went and won a gold in Tokyo? Like that'd be absolutely insane. It'd be so, so cool. And I think that I wanted to show people, especially my son, who's a two-and-a-half-year-old now, but someday he'll, he'll know what dad's done, right? He'll follow dad. He'll, he'll want to understand my story, and he'll see. And he'll be like, well, why'd you quit, you know? And, you know, no 28-year-old athlete quits, you know, it, the best athletes in the world, Steph Curry, LeBron James, Serena Williams, Roger Federer, Tom Brady, like all these guys are way beyond 28. And they've taken a lot of Ls too. You know. You're uh
0: before every match, correct me if I'm wrong, before every match or every day, you're in a competition, your wife Lauren writes you a, a note. She
1: does. She did at she did at the trials, the Olympics last year's world championships yeah.
0: August 19th the day of uh, the day of the Olympic the losses the two losses she wrote quote don't get so enraptured in each tree that you forget the magnificence of the forest yeah now she obviously meant that one way going into that day it takes on a little bit different meaning now doesn't it yeah
1: yeah cause it's it's so hard she tells me every day like listen i the Olymp- olympics are over I, I love you you cannot live your life bitterly forever right at some point you got to move forward you got to move on with what you desire to do what you want to achieve like how you treat people how do you engage what you think of yourself you know how you identify with the things that you want to do and so yeah she i mean she's a realist she's a realist she knows like It was unbelievable for her to see me do so well so often so consistently because she's friends with all the other wrestling wives right and so all the world championships and all the other tournaments she's gone along with with me and hung out with other wrestling wives and seen them devastated after their husbands have gotten beat or didn't even have a shot at winning and she's been able to leave that arena happy almost every time right And like so she understands what it's like she's seen it from both sides her brothers were all wrestlers, and they were solid, but you know, they weren't on the level that I am. And so, she she understands that, and so that was all that was really cool. She keeps me grounded, um, but yeah, I think that now is is it speaks more truly than ever, right? It's like, listen, this could either motivate you and fuel you, or it could it could crush you. It could crush you. It could could break your psyche so much that you'll never be the same.
0: Your first match back, competitive match back, was was where?
1: World Cup, Iran.
0: Okay, so it was February. February. Uh, Did it feel different getting back on the mat in front of people?
1: It did, yeah. It felt different. Um, I was excited, though. I was excited to get back out there, especially in Iran, because they love wrestling so much and they're big fans of mine. But uh, it was great. I've still got it. I mean, I'm still I'm still really good. Um and so that was fun. That was fun and I, I think that for me now is like like you heard me talking with the coaches like understanding that within that is evolution, but also that there may be specific times where things become difficult that doesn't mean that you're any less of who you are. I think for a long time I was like, "Well, man, if I don't dominate, guys, then people look at me differently, right, like, I'm not this mis- mysterious figure that just, like, is untouchable, this superhuman, freaking superhero, and so now I've come to terms with, I just want to get my hand raised, and I want to do it in the most diverse freedom that I can, like, I, I just want to have fun, like, I, I like, I like what I do, and I'm still having fun with it, and so, like, that, that's, that's the great part about it, like, I'd love to being back out there, but it's, but still, like, you know, people they people regard you differently, right? People regard you differently. But I think that being back out there, it was great for me. I just felt back. I felt home.
0: Uh, you know, you mentioned Fetter He's he's undergoing a resurgence right now. Yeah, he's killing it.
1: He's, he's be- killing it.
0: I, it's not similar because he's older and his physical skills have waned and all this stuff. But I think it's funny you meant, You know, I think he takes more joy sort of in being vulnerable because there's there's less pressure like the invincibility creates
1: a burden so much of a burden right because like now it's like you get beat all right we'll work on it we'll come back we'll still like we want to we want to improve as a wrestler and win when it matters right but for a long time like i gotta win every single match i gotta dominate every single match and like To maintain that excellence for a long time, it's mentally draining. Phelps went through the same thing. It's so draining. You know, Phelps
0: got humbled really bad in 2012.
1: Yeah, I I mean, if Michael Phelps loses one race, even if it's a silver, like, people are like, dude, what's wrong? He's losing it. Phelps, what the heck? He's had a wife and kids. He's done. You know, like, it's crazy to see. But I, I love seeing guys like Federer who, because, like, even, like, Serena, like, she's one of the best she is the best of all time right but she loses and she shows up the next week still hungry and ready to scrap and she'll win right and so like that's what it's all about like it's just about competing for the love and like when you truly love it if you're the best at what you do the best weed themselves out from the group regardless of how many times they get upset throughout the season. Like, they're going to be consistent with their results. It may not be a championship every time. But I can tell you what, Serena's winning more than she's losing, and she's going to win a major or two or three every year. And so regardless of how many times she gets beat, it's, I think she's beyond that. <laughs> she's beyond that. And I that's what I'm at the point now where I'm, I'm, I want to get beyond that get to that point where i'm just like i just love what i do and i'm going to do it regardless of what you think about me or where i am with my skill set and uh free myself from the burden
0: thanks for listening to where i come from you can check us out on omaha.com slash podcasts or on itunes thanks to bird creek for the music If you have ideas for guests, you can email me at dirk.chatlin at owh.com.